Hey friends, welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good buddy, Mr. Drew Holcomb, his new album, Dragons. I cannot quit it. I have it on vinyl and I love it so much. Make sure you grab a copy of that album and give it a listen. It's it's really, really fine work. If you haven't heard the episode with Drew from last week, make sure you jump back and listen to that one. I think you're really gonna enjoy it. Today on the show is a woman I have looked up to and respected for so long. I just think the world of her. Priscilla Shire is someone y'all have been requesting to be on the show. And this was the perfect time to line up, get to chat with her. Priscilla not only is an author and a teacher, uh, a Bible scholar, honestly, her work is so incredible. She also stars, and you remember she starred in War Room. She was in, I can only imagine, and most recently in the Kendrick Brothers' newest film, Overcomer. She has a new book that came out alongside Overcomer called Radiant that I think you're really going to enjoy, particularly for teen girls and young women in your life. I got to watch Overcomer, and I think that audience is going to absolutely love this film. Priscilla is absolutely one of my favorites. I just adore her. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So here is my conversation with Priscilla Shire. Thank you for doing this today. I love it. Thank you for having me. Do you normally work on Fridays? What's your weekly life look like? You know what? Every week seems to be different because mostly because we have teenagers. So their life is different and changing and morphing. And then you know how it is when you're in ministry. Some days it looks like this where I get to do like an interview with you. But a lot of days I'm just by myself writing and studying and, you know, preparing for whatever is coming. Are you on the road this weekend? I am not. Remind me how many kids you have. I have three sons. That's right. And they're all teenagers now? My youngest one is 10, and then I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, getting ready to be 17. Tell me how, one of the things I'm learning coming behind you and some of the other women that are doing ministry is learning the balance of how much to travel and what are the right yeses and nos. How have you learned that? Learning, because it's a constant matter of, Lord, what honors you most in this season of my life? What does it need to look like this year? Because all you can see is, what my kid's schedule is this year and what my, what my, the needs are in my marriage right now. Cause they right. change, you know, as soon as you get a handle on it, they keep changing, you know? Yeah. So literally we'll lay out a season of time before the Lord and say, what, how do we honor you in this season? And what I know right now while I'm raising kids is that they got to be my first priority. Right. So we literally put down on paper, everything we know for sure is stuff that we're going to not want to miss. We put it in there and then we filter everything else around that. I think I look busier online than I actually am. Um, we say no to pretty much almost everything. Mm-hmm. Probably 20% is a yes, mostly because I want to be home. I want to be with my kids. I want to make them dinner. I want us to sit around the table together. So I have missed out on a lot of what some folks would say was a good opportunity. But you know what? Every no is a simultaneous yes to something else. And um, I only get to be my boy's mom and go through this season of high school and junior high with them one time. So I'm trying to not miss none of it. Right. I think it's funny when people come up to me, it happened yesterday where they say, you look so busy on Instagram. And I'm like, you understand that's five seconds, like five groups of 10 seconds. It's just one minute of my day. Like (laughs) you actually can't know someone else's busy level based on what they show you on the internet. That's exactly right. And so for me, if, if I if I am speaking or, or teaching twice a month, most of the time that looks like flying out on a Friday and flying back home on Saturday evening. Really? Do you try to live by that Beth Moore rule of being home on Sunday morning? 
oh yeah, because I want our family to go to church together on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I'm not out a lot of Sundays. And then, you know, we homeschooled our boys for a lot of years. And that was the reason so that we could all go together. Any place that we couldn't go together was one of our, one of our no's, generally speaking, because I wanted our family to be able to do it together. And so just every season, we've kind of looked at it differently and said, now what, what can we do to not perfectly, but as best we can honor our priorities and honor God's priorities for us in this season. So, I mean, I just think it is, um, people that are in whatever job they're doing, whether they're staying home, whether they're in an office, whether they're on the road, like us learning the yeses and nos that work for you and work for your family and the people closest to you feels like one of the biggest parts of what I'm supposed to do with my whole life (laughs) is figure out how to say the right yes and the right no. That's right. And, and we have to not be judgmental of each other because what the parameters are that work for you and your family won't be the same as what works for me and mine. And we can be so critical and judgmental as women toward other women and say, well, if you're raising kids, this is what it's supposed to look like. Or if you're, you know, in ministry, this is what it's supposed to look like, but it is different for all of us. I feel like we got to give each other a break and, you know, know that I'm trying to honor God as best I can in mine. And it might look completely different for you. And that's okay. Yeah. And that you just have to give each other that that's a gift we can give the other women and men in our lives of going like, if your family decides that she stays home or he stays home or okay, we got to trust that you're, you're doing it. Totally. Priscilla, one of my favorite books of yours is about how to hear the voice of the Lord. Mm. Oh my gosh. I've gone through that study twice. And it's one of the questions we love to ask guests on the show only because everyone hears God speak a little bit differently. So will you, will you talk a little bit about what it's like for you and what, what even made you write about hearing God's voice? Well, you know, I grew up in a church that we believed God spoke and we believed that prayer mattered and we believed that the word of God was living, not just words on a page. Yeah. So I grew up with that knowledge, but it wasn't experiential for me. So when I would hear other people talking about talking about hearing the voice of God or, or honoring the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I got it, but I didn't get it. Uh-huh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, and there was this little bit of a disparity, an inner turmoil in my life because I wanted so much to know, not just here, but through my own personal testimony, what it is to have an ongoing, a lively relationship with Jesus. So I just remember being, you know, in my later 20s, mid to late 20s, and really just starting to pray toward that end and seek toward that end. And, and I Im- immersed myself for about eight years in a home Bible study group, I was still, uh, of course, at my local church, but I mean, once a week, I was also going on Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock to a woman's house where we had a Bible study. It was a very charismatic group of people that were there who believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and man, my, my life was at my spiritual life was elevated. My eyes were open. They helped me to know how to tune my ears my spiritual ears to really detect the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, they helped me to remember to always honor God's word as the not just the boundaries into which God's word will fall, but also the primary way through which he speaks Mm. so that every single time I'm reading through a passage of scripture. And you know how it happens where there's one word that leaps off the page or there's a verse that you've read a million times. Before. But today it's like there's a highlighter on it. There's not, <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has highlighted this one verse 
That is how God speaks. Mm -hmm. That's his way of giving you what Ephesians chapter six calls the sword of the spirit. It's the spirit handing you a sword. You don't even know you're going to need to use yet. Right. In for the scheme of the enemy um, in your life. And so I just started to see and sense the nuances of what it means to detect the leading of God's spirit in your life and to have our spiritual senses tuned for the presence and the activity of God moving in what other people would call a coincidence, but it's not a coincidence. Mm -mm. That's divine intersection, God's hand. And man, that really did change the course of my life and was out of that, that I wanted to write discerning the voice of God years later to just encourage and help others to know that we can hear God speak. I think that's so encouraging for our friends listening to hear that you were like 28 when you started on this journey, you weren't seven, like it, we, you were a full grown adult and then went, by the way, there's another level of this that I want. And listen, I just hit that again, where in, you know, here I am now in my early 40s. And over the last year and a half or so, I've hit that again, where I can tell that there is a holy unrest on the inside Mm -hmm. of me, where it's just this little disruptive feeling where I feel a little dull, and a little like, there's something more. And whenever I feel that I don't give myself a hard time, because I believe that's what the Lord allows us to feel as the impetus to the to give us a catalyst to the next stage in our relationship with him. So I'm there again, where I was in my early twenties. And I've, I've laid that out before the Lord. And I'm so excited for the people that he's going to bring in my life, the devotional material he's already given to me that I'm going through, that all of it becomes then a stepping stone to whatever the next place, glory to glory to glory that is for all of us. We, We never arrive. We never arrive at some, Mm -hmm. you know, magical place where we no longer need to grow. Uh, The thing that has changed, I mean, it's only probably been a year maybe, but what has absolutely changed my devotional life is I started paying attention to the questions my brain was asking when I was reading scripture, because that started to feel like, oh, wait, maybe that question matters. Maybe, maybe this is the Holy Spirit teaching me like a teacher goes, hey, students, why is that word used there? And then you go why is that word used there? And then it just takes you somewhere. And and so it's God speaking, but it's different, right? Do, do you, do you chase down rabbit trails like that? Yeah, I do. Because obviously our mind, our brains, our physicality is not disconnected from God's work. He uses our capabilities and capacities, physically speaking, as part of the instruments that he uses to direct us toward him as we surrender our full selves to him brains, feet, hands to do his work, eyes to see as well. As we surrender our full selves to him, everything becomes an instrument then that he uses to direct us toward him. So I find that, yes, even when I am studying for scholastic reasons, because maybe I'm writing a Bible study or something, anytime there's a question to be asked, I'm not just asking it for scholarly reasons. I'm also going to ask it and be paying attention and prayerful to how the Holy Spirit might make my heart burn with personal conviction, even as I'm about the nuances of some Greek word somewhere, you know, I'm wondering why Lord, did you want Priscilla to pay attention to this? What application can it um, be helpful for in my own life? But then how can I also help to see others then as a teacher, how that application matters to them? Yeah. I, I, I've just, been leaning on, it's what you're saying. I've just been leaning on the Holy Spirit as my instructor lately in my devotional time of going, oh, you, you actually are trying to something, like you said, he's trying to hand me a sword, but he's going, I want you to ask me why the sword looks like this. 
I want you to ask me and I want you to research. So I, I joked the other day because I was at Lost Valley Ranch. I was there and they don't have service. You know, there's no Wi-Fi. And so I'm doing my devotions and I can't use any of my apps that help me research things. And I was like, how were people Christians before they had Google and before they had Blue Letter Bible and all these apps that I used yeah. to help me with my study? That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like back in the day. Okay. Can we talk about your cousin for a minute? Oh, I would love it. Winter Pits, who yeah. we had Jonathan on a couple of months ago. Uh, it's been about a year since Winter passed away. Can you speak into, I just would love to hear you as a family member who's watched up close what has uh, developed of her legacy in the last year. You know, it's been amazing on many levels, most of which is her own daughters. I just look oh. at those little girls and I see how the Lord has been a comforter to them. Like we, we talk about the Holy Spirit being a comforter, but to see it in the lives of young girls like this, to watch them, watch him put a smile on their faces, to give them hilarity and joy in life and peace in this new season. And honestly, you know, they were moving. They were in the middle of moving right when winter passed away to a different state. And they, they're now there in that state. Yeah, they're here. God, yeah, they're there where you are. And so to watch God surround them with community and give them new friends and just give them a levity in life mm -hmm. that grief like this can sometimes um, tear from, from lives, um, to watch that has been the most beautiful expression of the grace of God uh, mm -hmm. in, our, in our family. And so I'm real grateful for that. Talk a little bit about holding grief and joy at the same time. Yeah, I feel like we need to give ourselves permission. We've given ourselves permission to do both, yeah. you know, to hold both of those. You know, this year, I'd actually say the last two years has been incredibly hard for our family. Um, six months before winter died, our uncle died, my dad's brother. And then um, six months you know, later, winter passes away very suddenly. We were planning to go to the movies that was the last voice text I have from her is about the movie we were planning to go see together. So she was healthy and fine. Yeah. Um, six months later, my dad's sister, our aunt Beverly passed away a month after that, our grandfather, my dad's dad. So this is still all on my dad's side of the family, oh which gosh. the stress on my father, the emotional toll that it has taken has been amazing. Um, but my uh, grandfather had a stroke and, um, my dad's been back and forth between Dallas and Baltimore to take care of him. And then six weeks after that, my mom's diagnosis surfaced where she's struggling with a very rare aggressive uh, cancer that they can't heal. God's going to have to do it. So we're in the middle of that with her looking for the, the, the ways to be mindful of her and the holistic ways we can treat her and just whatever options are available and help her walk through that. Um, so all of those things have happened. Even how do you hold all that, Priscilla? What do you, how do you do that? You know, uh, I don't even know how to answer that question except what you just said, that we can hold grief in one hand, but there's a joy in the other hand. Yeah. The grief doesn't annihilate the joy right. that we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Like we could still smile because I'm going to see winter again. Like mm -hmm. she's not lost to me forever. Yeah. And um, it, it's made me more compassionate and aware of people who have had great losses of their own and, um, my desire to serve them and to be mindful of their tears and to not try to minimize their tears because I get it, you know? Oh I've been grateful for what God has taught me of his comfort and his grace during this season, um, but also very mindful that the enemy would love to use this to discourage our family, right. to keep our, you know, to muzzle us so that we won't speak of the grace and the glory and the goodness of God. 
But um, I just refuse. We kind of all refuse to allow the enemy, not that he's done these things, but to allow him to use them to cause us to be so discouraged that we will not lift up the name of Jesus so boldly and bravely as we have in previous years. And so I refuse to give him the time of day. He's done mess with the wrong one, let me tell you. Right. Because we've made our decision as a family that for us, we're going to worship the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like for our friends who are listening? Somebody's at home and their their family's going through a lot or their husband's lost a job or their wife is sick and they want to refuse to let the enemy have a foothold. How do you even start that? Well, it kind of means deciding what actions you're going to put in place to honor that refusal mm. so that whether you feel like it or not, you do Doesn't those matter. things. Yep. For example, with my son's, you know, they're going, they're in these teenage years. I watched them struggle with, with issues of identity and insecurity and all the stuff, all the things, you know, all the things. And so I have these things that I say over my boys, um, whether I feel like it or not, whether they go listen or not, or act like they're listening or not, whether they're rolling their eyes. Cause mom, can we please go on with the day? Nope. You're going to stand here uh-huh. and you're going to listen to me tell you according to the scriptures, who you are. Mm -hmm. And so I speak that over them and I've posted it in a place where they can see it. And sometimes I get them to say it over themselves because I've decided that as their mother in my refusal to let the culture have the final say in their life, I'm going to do everything I can to speak God's truth over them. Mm -hmm. So we do it whether they like it or not. So there have to be certain things that in our lives, we just decide this is what I'm doing on the days I feel like it on the days I don't feel like it, I'm gonna do it as a statement to the enemy that I have made my choice and I'm going to continue to live in alignment with it, not let feelings dictate it. Yeah, that's it. It's it's almost like drawing up a battle plan and going, it doesn't matter what you feel tomorrow. These are the four things you do. You pray about this anyway. You read the scripture over your kids anyway. You go to work anyway. Like you just, you gotta keep going to some yeah. degree. Yeah. Um, okay. I have a little dream in my heart okay. of doing TV and movies and all the kind of things you've jumped into. Will you back me up? When did movies and acting become such a central part? And what were you, do you feel like that was a calling that was already on your life or help me understand how you're doing all this? Girl, if how do you, you have can... the time? <laughs> well, it's very seasonal. I mean, you know, for, for war room, we filmed for two months. We moved to our family, moved to North Carolina And then with um, just for a couple of months and then for I can only imagine I was only in it for a short time. So I filmed my part in three days Ah. and for Overcomer, which is coming out here soon. It took two or three weeks to film my part. And again, my boys were on set. They got to intern and help and uh, catch a glimpse of them in a couple of scenes where they just threw them in as extras. So it's just what we kind of did as a family. But it doesn't consume, you know, the the whole of my life. It's just like admittedly throughout, you know. Um, um, the, the seasons, but I will tell you, it's been the biggest surprise to me, just like really? it has been everything else that I'd be, you know, that maybe has read books or Bible studies that I've done. And then all of a sudden here I am on screen. Listen, right. I'm just surprised as you are, if not more <laughs> and it happened because the Kendrick brothers called me, um, when they were writing the script for war room and they said, Priscilla, we are crafting this character, the main character, Elizabeth Jordan. And every time we write her lines, what we're thinking to ourselves is, what would Priscilla Shire say? That's how oh, we're wow. crafting this character. So they said, we're coming toward the end here. And we realized we should just call you and ask you, will you say them? Will you be her on screen? And girl, when they called me and asked me that, I laughed out loud and said, absolutely not. <laughs> I should not do that. 
I said, you do know I'm not an actress, right? right? I even texted them the names of actors, like actresses that I was like, you know, she could do this really well. You need an African-American woman for this role at this age bracket. Here's some ladies who I love watching on screen. So I was convinced that they were not going to let me make a fool of myself on mm. screen. Um, but also I didn't want to ruin their movie. Cause you know how that is where you see a movie that could have been good, except that one actor was horrible. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're oh. like, I know who I'm going to be in this, you guys. <laughs> So I was very afraid of ruining what I knew, you know, just because of their track record would be a, yeah. a film that really could bless people. And, and then I was like, you know, this it's just not what I do. I'm in ministry. And they said, Priscilla, I think when you read this script, you'll see that it's not just a movie. It is ministry. Mm -hmm. So they said, just read it and pray about it. Yeah. And of course, when I read the War Room script, I read what everybody saw who saw the film. And that is it's not just a movie. It is ministry. Yeah. Did you just sob at the end when you were reading it? Did it make you cry? Oh my gosh, it was just such a, such a great way to reach people, Annie, who may never pick up a book that I would write, may yeah. never come to a church, may never come to a conference that you or I would speak at, but they will get some hot, buttery, salty popcorn and a soda and go sit in a theater. Right, right. So I thought, Lord, if you're going to allow me to have the gift of being a part of sharing the name of Jesus Christ and edifying the body of Christ in a way that I might not otherwise have an opportunity to well, then to God be the glory. Don't let my fear and insecurity keep me from doing that. Wow. So I just said yes, and we all prayed and hoped for the best. And um, I can't believe that I now have been asked to do that a couple of more times. Right. I, I just keep saying, y'all, y'all know I'm not an actor, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, when you were sitting down and like practicing your lines, were you like, I don't even know how to do this? I was like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, y'all. When you, it, you preach, know, do you script? Are you scripted in your teaching? Uh, no, not really scripted. No, because yeah, I'm not either. That'd be my fear is I wouldn't be able to do the lines because and when I'm really teaching, I'm kind of going all over the place. That's exactly right. So I got an advice from an acting coach that said to me for me to record really whole scenes to to back the microphone up a little further from me when it was somebody else's line but then to be real close and loud when it was my line and to record the scenes. And then when I was jogging or washing dishes or whatever, just listen to it over and over and over again. It's kind of like listening to music. You know, after you listen to that song over and over, you find yourself just repeating the words and yep. singing the words because it's absorbing into your mind. So that's what I really did, particularly with War Room, because I was in every scene. I had every, you know, every scene to master. And so that helped a lot. That is incredible. Just listen. That reminds me of an overcomer where she has the headphones on and she's running and she's listening totally to her. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the same. Okay. So I loved overcomer. I got to watch it last week and I loved your role as like a benevolent principal. Did you get to pick that role or did they pick it for you? Like, did you read it and go, I think I fit right here. No, no. They called me and said, we've got this lady named Olivia and we really can see you in this role. Take a look at it and see if you'd like to, yeah. to, to play her. And I did. I wanted to do it um, for many reasons, most of which is that what I know about the Kendrick mother, brothers is that they have so much integrity mm -hmm. to the message of Jesus. They are not trying to just entertain folks. What I know is that they want to be carriers of the gospel message and they're not going to sugarcoat it. So yeah. I got to tell you, Annie, since War Room, I've gotten lots of movie scripts and most of them would have been just for me to act. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that because there are people that that's their craft. Right. Acting is a real live craft and a real live job. And I'm like, man, I need to leave that just acting to other folks. 
But if it's a ministry message, a pure gospel message, and that's mm-hmm. what I knew that the Kendrick brothers were after, mm-hmm. I'm, I feel like it's a privilege to be a part of telling that story. Mm-hmm. And then to see this strong woman in this role, really caring for and tending for the life of a younger woman. Uh, the life of a younger woman that seemed like a great thing to display and um, on screen. And the thing that the Kendrick brothers seem to do pretty, I would guess intentionally, but I'd love for you to speak to it is there is a lot of diversity racially and age diversity in all their movies. Is that, do you think that's thoughtful? What's their thought process behind that? Well, I think that it has been one of the, what's the word, residual benefits of their films. In other words, I don't think they intentionally set out for it. I just think the stories that they are writing lend themselves to it. Ah. So, for example, with War Room, there was a passion in prayer that they knew was more culturally authentic coming from my perspective as an African-American Christian than it would be in our Anglo brothers and sisters uh, culture. So they knew that the story just lent itself to the black church experience. So they didn't, they didn't do that on purpose. It's just how the story worked itself out. Same thing with uh, this story that they just saw in the roles um, that, that I would be as a black woman who would represent the the way that character was expressing themselves and the way they saw it in the story, it was represented well with me. But what I will say to that is that I do think it is critical and important um, that the church sees herself in the full breadth of the body Mm -hmm. on screen. Mm -hmm. Because War Room did was show black Christians, show Christians who happen to be African-American that they belong in those stories as well. And there had not been any faith-based films who had demonstrated that before War Room. So you saw black people coming out in droves to War Room in a way they would not have come out to faith-based films uh, before. And that was mostly because Miss Clara was their grandmother. Uh, Right. She was. I wish she was mine. (laughs) (laughs) She was their grandmother. She was their big mama. And so they saw themselves and they thought, let's go see this movie because this is us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you... uh, And part of this may be because of my role now doing a show like this, where I'm interacting with a lot of people. It feels like a conversation the church is taking more seriously than they've ever taken before. Not of making sure everyone is treated well, but making sure everyone is being given a spot to tell their stories well. Do you see that as a shift in the last maybe decade or so? I, I am seeing that it is a shift that many streams, not all, but right. many are more and more open to try to make room for. Yeah. And I think that it is imperative. I think that that what has crippled us is the dismissiveness that if it's not your issue, then it's not an issue and we don't need to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What that does is diminish the, imp- the importance of the life of the other person who's yeah. saying to you, this is important. Make space for me, yeah. room for me to tell you how this is impacting me and how this is affecting me. Because the reality is, Annie, there is a difference between me and friends of mine who happen to be white mothers who are rearing their sons. We both have above board things that we want for all of our sons. And so we instruct them in the same way in a lot of ways. But there is there is a point where what I'm saying to my son as a black mom is going to be different than what you have to say to your son. There are warnings and cautions that I will have to give my son you will never have to give your son yeah. because of the society we live in and the skin color that he has. That's a reality mm-hmm. that I need to make sure I'm going to a church that they recognize and that they don't tell me 
is something I'm making up in my mind. Right. No, it's not. Right. It's a reality. Yeah. And together as the church, we can't be colorblind and we can't uh, say that that race doesn't matter because yes, in Christ, we're all a part of the family of God and he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's true. But we live on earth. Yeah. <laughs> we live on earth. And so we have to be relevant and we have to make sure, again, that we're making space for each other to just be real and tell you what's going on with us and know that we're going to be heard on both sides. Yeah. Tell me what that looks like. Like I'm thinking about myself as a leader at our church here at Crosspoint. I'm thinking about any other uh, white pastors or pastor's wives or people in leadership at a church in a student ministry. What do we need to be paying attention to to make sure that mothers of all sorts of races and colors and families feel like, oh, yeah, I'm seen at that church? Because you don't want yeah. someone getting up and going, hey, welcome to Crosspoint. I see all you people that don't look like me. You're here. You know, like that's not the right answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what I think it is, is acknowledging not just the skin color of the people, but acknowledging the cultural expressions of the people. In other words, uh, that I, if you say, for example, if we make sure that our leadership teams have diversity in our teams, but those people have to diminish their cultural expressions and meld and fit in with the church as it is. Mm, Does that make sense? Yes. Can't bring their cultural expressions to the table, their stylistic expressions to the table, the nuances of their realities to the table, and that be incorporated into the life of the church, then yes, you might see my skin color, but you haven't really truly included me. I've had to diminish my expression and yes. in be included here. So that really doesn't make me and the, the other people that are like me feel at home. It's just that we're here physically, uh -huh. but we're not here. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think it's important for all of our churches across the boards and on both sides to make sure that we are opening up the full circle to all people from the entire spectrum of diversity and saying, come as you are, the fullness of your expression, bring it here. And we're not going to ask you to mask it, to diminish it or to displace it in order to be included here. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Priscilla to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Literati Books. When it comes to kids' books, it's hard to find new ones that are educational and entertaining. So you get stuck reading the same books over and over to your kids. I know, me too. I get to read to my friends' kids a lot and we just pick up the same book sometimes. And that is where Literati Book Club comes in to inspire your kids to fall in love with reading. Studies show that 75% of parents wish their kids would read more for fun, but they have no idea how to make that happen. And that's where Literati, the largest kids book club in America, comes in. Literati helps you raise a lifelong learner, whether they are struggling student or a gifted scholar. I know this is our first time talking about it, so I kind of want to explain to you. Literati is like a subscription book club that makes it easy to find unique and interesting books for your kids. Literati mails five teacher-approved books to your kids every month, and it's the book club subscription that teachers buy for their own kids. There's no more guessing or searching or reading the same books over and over. Each Literati box contains five age-appropriate books based on a theme like The Spirit of Adventure or The Animal Kingdom. It also contains exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. 
Parents and teachers across the country are seeing the difference in kids' lives. And one parent shared with Literati that after a year of joining the club, their second grader is reading at a fifth grade level, and she's an insatiable reader now. Each month, you buy the books you want, and returning the rest is easy and totally free. So for a limited time, go to literatibooks.com. That's L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I books.com. And use the promo code that sounds fun for $20 off your first box. Plus kids three and up get a special black light pen. This is their best offer available anywhere, you guys. To get it, you have to go to literatibooks.com. Again, that's L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I books.com. And the promo code is that sounds fun for $20 off your first box plus a free black light pen for kids three and up. Again, that's literatibooks.com. And the promo code is that sounds fun. I cannot wait to hear what y'all think. Back to my conversation with Priscilla. We had a prayer thing here Monday night at church. And two of the Hispanic people that came and prayed, prayed about um, the fear they feel right now, just existing, just like the fear of just um, being Hispanic in America right now. And it just makes me want to ask you, what does the church need to do as we go toward another election? This is like deep stuff. Sorry. Happy Friday to you, Priscilla. We're like trying to, we're just here to talk about a movie. (laughs) And I'm like, Priscilla, how do we make well, all of our people feel safe that that are in this? How can the church know. make people feel safe? Question. <laughs> I just want, I mean, I want to, I want to hear them when they're praying to God, but they're praying in front of me. I just want the church to think about how we make our neighbors feel safe to express who they are. You know, I think that's a question you should ask them. Okay. In fact, I think the very fact that you ask them already communicates comfort to them. Okay. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking when you were saying that about your culture not being diminished. Then I just, someone just needs to go and say, hey, is your, do you feel like your culture is represented here in how we're doing worship and how we're teaching and in how we're doing small groups? And yeah. I think asking the question, not because it, there requires a bit of humility, what a question what a question communicates is humility mm-hmm. that I, I know that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So would you please help me to understand what I need to do to make sure that I am not complicit by my silence and that I am helpful to you in the, in the needs that you have. That's true of any relationship. It's yeah. true of marriage. It's true of any relationship that when one party is hurting for whatever reason, when we humble ourselves and just come and say, what can I do? To be, mm-hmm. I don't want to assume I, and presume that I know what to do because I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're the one who's hurting. You're the one in need. I'm going to ask. And the mere fact that you ask and bring yourself into their need, that right there communicates an acknowledgement of the concern. And there's a comfort level in that right away. Man, that can happen between two moms who are sitting by each other at the pool or, totally. or two friends who are, have a difference in any part of their life where you go, I, I don't know that you feel safe right now. What can I do? How can, how can I use my privilege that I have just, that I was just born with to, yeah. to make you feel safer in the world that we're sharing? Absolutely. So, it, it sometimes feels scary to ask that Priscilla, because you, because I don't want to sound, I don't want to sound presumptuous. Like I can fix things. It's hard all the way around. We've got, we're, the reality is we're going to have to give all, each other grace. Okay. We're going to have 
because sometimes I know a lot of my white friends that are scared to ask the question because they feel like even asking questions is, is offensive, might be offensive. Yeah. And they're worried they might offend just asking the question. So there are some that are nervous on one side and then others that are nervous on the other side. Yeah. And in doing so, everybody's sort of walking on eggshells. And in the end, we're just going to have to give each other grace right. and say, Lord, you are still the answer. If you don't help us, we're not going to be helped. Right. You know? And there's just something about trusting the stance, right? Like if if someone comes to you humbly to ask a question, you go, uh, she used eight of the wrong words, but I trust her stance. I trust her stance. <laughs> I trust her heart. And so let yeah. me give, give each other the benefit of the doubt and, yeah. and do our best within the body of Christ to, su- to support one another. Um, but I do think that the church cannot remain silent on issues of injustice and issues of otherness, others. Mm. There are others whose realities are not the same as those who are the majority. Um, And I think that that has to be acknowledged and that we can't sit back and applaud things that the church by and large wants to applaud and then be silent about the things that actually aren't where we stand, but nobody wants to jump out there and say, um, say that as, as, as loudly as they did the things that they wanted to applaud. Right. It is. It is a scary time. I use scary a little bit loosely because not like my Hispanic friends feel scared. It is a scary time to have a public voice. Totally. Because it's like, I mean, what? Okay, I'll say this and then they'll eat me up or I'll say this and they'll eat me. I just like, I I don't know. I don't know what to do. The truth is this too, because I've had to think about this a lot in public ministry, that every battle we are not all called to the front lines of every battle. Mm. In other words, I care very deeply about these issues of race and injustice and that, and that, that sort of thing. I don't have the, the ability, the privilege to not care. I'm black. Mm. I'm raising black sons into black men in my home. Yes. I, I worry about that in the sense that they are both already six foot, two inch tall giants. Uh, um, you know, they are going to be considered men. Nobody's going to know they're 15 years old. Yes. They're so I have to think in regards to that. So I care very deeply, but I've had to talk to the Lord about that in my ministry, Lord. Have you called me to the front lines of that battle or have you called me to be a voice that supports those who are on the front lines? Mm. One of those uh, stances is wrong or right. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask, Lord, what am I on the front lines for? Because I am willing to die on hills, but I want them to be the hills that the Lord has called me to die on. Yeah. That's right. I've been criticized by people who have said I'm not vocal enough. And then I've been criticized when I am vocal for being too vocal. So right. I've got to ask the Lord, what hill, hill do you want me to die on? I will die on those hills and those hill only. And I will support those who are on the front lines. Yeah. But Annie, we can't be on the front line of every battle. Right. But we also can't just stay back in the tent and not be involved. Totally. Right? We can be involved some way and on some level. But we can't necessarily be, you know, at, at the front lines of every single battle because there are lots. I mean, there's going into 2020. I think we're just getting started, unfortunately, with the battles we're going to see. When Heather Avis was on the show a couple of weeks ago, she said um, your choice to be an advocate or not is a sign of privilege to me. She was yeah. like, you deciding whether you're going to be involved at all or not is actually just another reminder of privilege. I was like, OK, <laughs> I feel like all of us have to be involved because it matters to the state of the world. It matters to the state of our country. 
that our children are going to grow up in. So it matters. But whether we take our responsibility within the sphere of our own high school where our kids go to school or with teenage teenagers that come visit me in my home and I sit and have those conversations with the pocket of women's ministry leaders that I am in relationship with that come to ask me questions, that might be the sphere that God has called me to. It's not lesser important just because it's not on Twitter. Oh, man, I have ripple effects in the high school that my boy goes to because the teachers will come and ask me questions that matter in that school. So we all have to, again, give each other grace that every public person in ministry, it it doesn't mean they're supposed to all be vocal on the front lines in the way you want them to. Uh Don't place the fact that there might be ripples we're making right in our own neighborhood because we're involved, but maybe not involved on the front lines in a very public broad way. Right. It's just given it. I've had to say that one time on Twitter where I went like, hey, y'all don't know where I've given money. You don't know where I've, like, you have no idea what I'm doing. Just because I'm not typing up the exact words you want me to type up, y'all get mad. And I'm, I, at some point you just can't, you can't fight them all back. But I was just like, you don't know me. Y'all were nice yesterday. Everybody was fine with me yesterday. Suddenly today, you know. It's too much to try to keep up with everybody else's expectations. I'm so over it. I got yeah. to 40 years old, girl, and I was like, I'm over it. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm I'm creeping up on you, and I'm going to be like, I mean, turning from my 20s to 30s were so good. I'm like, let's go to the 40s. The th- that the, It just seems to keep getting better. Yeah, bring it on. I agree. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> right-hand turn. Let's talk about Radiant. Okay. It is, for starters, I just had a man in the podcast studio with me, and in the middle of his interview, he stopped and said, that book cover is beautiful. What is that book? <laughs> I said, oh, it's my friend Priscilla. I'm talking to her next. But you wrote a book, you wrote Radiant as a companion piece for Overcomer, or did you write it based off of what you experienced there? Yeah. Um, no, I wrote it as a companion. I wanted there, and the Kendrick Brothers, since the movie was centered around a young woman's life, we wanted there to be something, both a book radiant and then a bible study called defined we wanted there to be something that a woman could walk out of that theater and go you know what i need to grapple with my sense of significance Mm. and identity issues and really make sure i have not displaced my significance into something that man can be taken away from me like the approval of other people or ambitions or the success that i have or the beauty that i have if my significance is tied up in something that can be taken away ooh, that's a roller coaster ride of a life that's what we were just talking about on the internet our significance cannot be in all that that's exactly right and so we just wanted to equip folks with some tools and i i wrote radiant um you know it's got a lot of stories from my teenage years and 20s steps, the mistakes, how the Lord kind of in his grace and mercy pulled me out of a few pits and how he just continues to stamp his identity on me. So I wrote it in a way that would be easy for a young woman to be able to internalize. She'll see herself in um, the nuances of my own life as a woman, um, but then just want to give her concrete spiritual principles to remind her of her value. It feels like you're telling one big story right now, you know, where you're kind (laughs) of going like, Hey, everybody, let's see each other for who we really are. Let's turn inward and do the work that God has for us, but see your people for who they are and, and who God has made them as well. Totally. Absolutely. 
and, and value each other just like God values us. Yeah. So what is that? So in every year in January, every year, last year and this coming year, um, we kind of on the podcast, we focus on the next generation and just spend a couple of shows talking about like, what can we be doing for the generation coming up behind us for these teenagers? So when you think about, I mean, you spoke to it a little bit about raising your sons, but when you think about the generation who is in high school right now, and so many of our friends listening are either raising high schoolers or working with middle schoolers and high schoolers. What did they need to know now about God that will carry them in ways that maybe we didn't need to know yet when we were 15? Absolutely. Here's a, like a huge thing that can change the course of your life. Here it is. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. You are already acceptable. Mm-hmm. You are already accepted. Okay. Let me tell you how this changes your life. Social media has made it so that, and by the way, there's nothing negative about it. It's a great tool. It's a tool. Yep. Social media has made it so that we are constantly looking for approval. Every time someone likes our post, it sends this endorphin in our system. Like, Ooh, I got another follower, another friend, somebody like my Twitter post, you know, I've been reposted. It sends this little buzz. We get a buzz. Our bodies physiologically literally become addicted to the buzz. Mm. So the need for approval is heightened in a way that it was not, Annie, when we were in high school. Yeah. Because we experienced it at when, you know, when we were at the school or in our little circle of friends in the youth group or whatever, but not a 24-hour constant nope. cyclical, um, ongoing, inundated social media feed. I mean, if you weren't there on Friday night or Saturday, you didn't know it happened till Monday when y'all got back to school and talked about it. You had a break from trying to be impressive. Now you don't have a break. I don't either. I feel like I don't either, to be honest with you, Priscilla. I feel like I don't get a break from that either. Totally. So if you're constantly looking for acceptance, you will do things, post things, um, get caught up in things that are constantly striving toward that end. You will accept invitations you don't even really want to accept. You will date a person you don't even really want to date. You'll be you'll be trying to get the approval of friends you don't even really want to have. It's just you want to be included. So your whole life changes when you really get a grip on the fact I am already accepted. Mm. I am already significant. That means when the invitation comes for Annie to speak at that event. Now, instead of saying, okay, because she really just wants to be included in that group. Now, Annie goes, you know what? Actually, I don't want to go there. That's not where I feel called to go. And I don't have to because already accepted. My significance is solid. So now I'm not running myself ragged Mm. trying to get something that I actually already have. Yes. And Annie, I am meeting women who are in their 50s or 60s who wake up one day and realize the whole trajectory of their life was based on trying to gain approval. They mm-hmm. chose their whole career path, not on what they actually loved, not on their passions, but because it was acceptable to somebody else in their life that they were trying to gain the approval of. Yeah. And they realize now they've never even had contentment in their life because it was so outside of what they were called or gifted to do. Oh and I don't want young women getting to 45 and realize they wasted 25 years of their life doing something just to gain the acceptance of other people. Right. And you, I think you're right. The trajectory that the internet has, the tools that can be used really well yeah. also have elevated that to me. I mean, I literally left counseling yesterday and I texted my assistant and said, hey, you can hold me accountable to this. I'm taking Instagram and Twitter off my phone for the weekend. 
I was like, I I just need a break because it's taking up a lot of my time when I'm supposed to be writing a book. But also, I can feel how much I love being seen there right now. And it's gross. Because you know what? Anything that we don't put boundaries around becomes an idol. Mm -hmm. Anything. Mm -hmm. Like even good things. So if you don't have boundaries around food, well, now it's gluttonous. If you don't have boundaries around your career that God gave you, gifts and talents and ability to perform. But if there's no boundaries, now your calendar is completely overrun and you're sacrificing your family or your own health to achieve that career goal. Mm -hmm. And so- Social media is the same. If we have no margin around it, man, it just takes over our whole lives to where we cannot function without the approval or the interaction with other people. So I think for women, and this is probably true for men too, the person that is the hardest on you, the one that accepts you the least is yourself. Mm -hmm. How do we learn that? No matter our age, whether you're 50 or 30 or 12, what are, how do we learn that you're acceptable when you look in the mirror? Yeah, that's so great. Um, you know, I have a whole chapter in radiant and it's called my hair story Mm. in parentheses. What's your story. Mm. And the gist of the story is that, you know, I grew up around a lot of African-American people, but my high school was largely white. So for a while I was one of two black cheerleaders on an all white squad. And wow. So, you know, my hair was supposed to fit in this little bouncy coiffed ponytail uh, and it didn't, it didn't fit, but I was willing to straighten it chemically at the expense of the health of my hair. I I was willing to do it because I wanted to be the same and sameness is celebrated. Mm -hmm. And I got to the point in my twenties when my hair was in such disrepair that I just, the Lord helped me to see that if I was willing to sacrifice my health in order to be the same, then that meant my significance was tied up in sameness not in celebrating the reality of who wow. God had made me to be. Wow. And so I cut, I cut all that relaxer off at 24 years old. I had my, I remember my hair was about an inch long, Oh wow! about an inch long. It was one of the greatest things that I ever did for my own sense of self-esteem because the Lord used my little hair story and every, and that's why I put in parentheses as the subtitle of that chapter. What's your story? Yeah. Cause all of us have a story. It might not be your hair. It might be your hips. It might be the size of your nose. It might be whatever, that all of us look in the mirror and go, golly, I wish that thing were different. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's, it, the problem is not that we might do something stylistically to make it a little different or enhance it. It's not a problem. The problem is why? Mm-hmm. Are you doing it because you want to fit in with this homogeneous system that we have that says you're not enough and that you're not pretty unless you fit? And are you willing to damage yourself health-wise in order to accomplish that? Right. How, how much does that tell us our significance is tied to the standard of beauty that has been set by a culture. So I've decided um, for myself that the best way for me to begin to appreciate me was to stop chemically altering the things that I knew I was only altering because I didn't feel that I was accepted or that I was willing to damage myself to do in order to be accepted. Right. What things was I doing? Not because they were just style issues, but I was actually willing to forego what's best for me in order to accomplish it. Yeah. And I, I disciplined myself to stop doing those things. That's mm-hmm. really how it happened. Yeah. And it was overnight. It's been over the course for about 24 years old to now yeah. where every now and then I catch myself slipping. I catch myself doing something that really isn't good for me, but it's what the culture says is pretty. Mm. And that's myself stop. I make myself stop. I mean, I think somebody just needs to hear that sometimes God talks to you about your hair. Like sometimes the Lord goes, hey, let's talk about your hair. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your hair. Let's talk about the part of your body that you are altering at your own expense. Yes. And no one even knows sometimes. I mean, it's the adult version of cutting that people do not know the things that we do to ourselves to try to be the same, but we hide it. And and listen, I I, want to make sure that I'm clear that there's nothing wrong with straight hair. There's nothing wrong with curly hair. There's nothing wrong with anything you might do that you just enjoy the appearance of. Well, great. Do it. But if you're doing it for someone else's applause or approval, those are the things we need to go back and say, why? Mm. Why does it matter so much that I look like her Mm -hmm. in order to feel valuable? You know, going back to like what we were talking about earlier, when I was in War Room, I remember we had this, you know, when there's a character in a movie, they have a whole conversation around the attire of the character. What's Mm -hmm. the, you know, how they want this person to to come across on screen. Mm -hmm. So you've got to talk about clothes. You've got to talk about hair and everything. And uh, with War Room and even with Olivia Brooks in Overcomer, it was a very professional woman. I was a real estate agent as Elizabeth Jordan. Mm -hmm. I'm a principal at, at a school as Olivia Brooks and both of them need to be polished professionals. Uh, And we had to have a hair conversation and, and the hair conversation, as they asked me, their thoughts were that maybe this woman should have straight hair for, for war room. Maybe she should have straight hair. And I immediately said to them, I think the best way to show this polished professional woman is with the hair God gave her. Mm. I said, it is going to matter so profoundly to your diverse audience. Right. When they see this polished, professional, boldly Christian woman with her own natural hair on her head, mm. you have no idea what big of a statement that will make. And and I can't even tell you, Annie, how many letters I have gotten and emails I have gotten from women that saw me in that film and that wrote me not to tell me about the profound effect that it had maybe on their marriage or in their prayer life. They wrote me to say it freed them up to realize that their hair was okay just the way it was. My gracious. And they just needed to see that. That's exactly right. And so what happens, that that, that kind of led to a bigger story for me in terms of, or a bigger principle for me in terms of us allowing ourselves to be us, like you being, you know, have your face. Sometimes when we just let ourselves be who God made us to be, it frees other women up in ways we do not expect. Come on. I wasn't thinking about other women seeing, when I cut my hair off at 24, my chemically altered hair and started wearing my own hair, I wasn't thinking about other women. But in the decades that have followed, in the 20 years that have followed, every single woman in my family went natural. Mm-hmm. Every single, the breadth of my church, like women one by one and in my sphere of influence had the courage to do it. And then through War Room, which I could have never imagined, but through our ministry and in War Room, I I just can't tell you how many hundreds of letters and emails I've gotten from people that have said, I I saw the opportunity to just be me because you were brave enough to just be. Priscilla, you're wonderful. Um, Are you still doing your TV show at all with Lifeway? You know what? I We stopped filming it about a year ago. We probably will pick back up at some point, but we just needed to get a handle on our life with high school students yeah. in our in our home and all that stuff. And so we just needed to pare down some. But, you know, I know the Lord will bring it back around again. Man, that was fun. I loved being on it. We were it was we did an all girl an all women's panel about men. Remember, it was so fun. Me and Angie Smith. You can't trust us anywhere, Priscilla. You should have known better than that. Okay, so the final question we always have to ask, and thank you, Priscilla, for answering, for having grace with me and answering my questions today. I, I'm really, really grateful. Um, the last question I always ask, if, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, what do you guys do for fun? Oh, man. Um, you know, we really love the movies. We love the movies. So we'll, we'll find a good movie that's out, get some hot, buttery, salty popcorn and a good soda, 
and I'll either go by myself or I'll take my boys. And that's just something that we really sort of enjoy doing. I love it. Is there one you've seen lately that you were like, this is incredible? Mm, you know what? I saw Aladdin. Yeah. Do you like it? I liked Will Smith. Yes. I thought he was great as the genie. I thought, yeah. it, I thought he made the movie. It was funny. Um, he was himself. Yeah. So him as a genie was great. Yeah. Have you seen Lion King yet? I did see Lion King. Did you I like it? it? I liked it. I liked it more than I thought I would. And I still yeah. teared up when uh, Mufasa died. Like I hadn't known since 1991 what happens right then. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe it. Well, thank you for being on the show, Priscilla. I love you. I'm on your team. If you need anything, I'm right here. Appreciate you, sis. Thank you. You guys, don't you love her? I'm just so thankful that Priscilla lets me ask questions that are sometimes dumb and we get to really process some things that are deep and important and talk about why God cares about our hair, right? I mean, I just think it's so special. Hey, make sure you go and watch Overcomer. Overcomer actually just came out last week, so you can definitely go and check that out. Make sure you give Priscilla a follow on the internet. Tell her thanks for being on the show and how much you love her work. We just cannot tell people enough who are in the public space how much their work matters to us. So I would love if you would take time today and say that to Priscilla. If you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You know that on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Annie F. Downs. F as in fireproof because I think the Kendrick brothers made that one too. <laughs> Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. Hey, and if you enjoyed this conversation with Priscilla, we have a lot of women who are teaching the Bible and out there writing and speaking on the regular but on the show. People like Lisa Harper, Angie Smith, Rebecca Lyons, Jess Connolly, Haley Morgan. I just that you can just dig back into our archives. If you enjoy this kind of conversation, we have got a handful of other women I think you would really, really enjoy as well. I think that's it for me, friends. Uh, so go out and do something that sounds fun to you and I will do the same. And we'll see you back here on Thursday. Buckle up. Bianca Oltoff is here and it is going to be fun. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Thursday.